So I'm here just to remind you that Artie Kendall's with us today and with us for the next few months. It's wonderful to have him back. Before Artie comes and preaches, Bruce is going to read the scripture to us today. We're going to be reading from 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9 following. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire that separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to the, by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took upon the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elijah crossed over. Let's welcome back Dr. R.T. Kendall. If it were on offer, and it is, would you like a double anointing of the Holy Spirit? Would you? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, applied as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Enable me to be very, very clear, very simple, and may this be a life changing word, a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the next several weeks, I hope to deal with the life and ministry of Elisha. And Elisha, who was found by Elijah requested a double anointing. Now, when I use the phrase double anointing, the word anointing means the power of the Holy Spirit that enables your gift to function with ease. If you had a double anointing, you'd have twice the measure of the Spirit to do this. And it is what Elisha asked for. Now, there are three times in the Bible that I know of that you have this reference to double anointing. For example, in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7, the prophet says, 
Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will receive in their inheritance, rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land and everlasting joy will be theirs. You find it also in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 12. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Well, now, these verses provide a, a, an encouragement to have more of God than you have at the moment. A.W. Tozer says you can have as much of God as you want. And I don't know whether the idea of having a double anointing of the Holy Spirit appeals to you. I, I want to come clean and say that this is beyond my own experience. Now, I like to think that when I preach, I'm preaching in the level of my experience. If I preach on tithing, it's because I'm a tither. If I preach on total forgiveness, I would want to hope that I have totally forgiven all those who I have needed to forgive. But when it comes to double anointing, I have to say that I'm preaching not something that I think I've ever had. It's something that I want. And so I want it. If you want it, we're all in it together. But then there might be someone who would say, well, RT, that's very good for you to want a double anointing because uh, you're a Bible preacher. Uh, you want a double anointing on your ministry. But let me put it this way. All of us are in ministry. Pastor Colin Dye will say to you sometimes as you leave, now you minister. And he refers to 12 giants of society. Uh, these are in the realm of what I would call common grace. Common grace. That is special grace in nature. It is quite apart from your being a Christian or being converted. Everybody, because you've been created, have a measure of common grace. We don't call it common because it's ordinary, but because it's given commonly to everybody. Uh, the way you look, you look like your parents. Uh, the way you were brought up, uh, your IQ, uh, what you like to do. Uh, you would have the same desire, almost certainly, if you were not a Christian. So what are the giants? Well, Colin Dye lists 12 giants of society. Let's say there's someone here. You are in business or finance. That means you could be a banker or an investor. Would you not like a double anointing of the Holy Spirit in your job? You are in thought or philosophy. Maybe you are an Immanuel Kant. Education and training. Perhaps you're a teacher. Law and order. Perhaps you are a solicitor. A policeman. A Supreme Court judge. Would you not want a double anointing to do what you're called to do? Or if you're in sports and leisure. Leisure. 
You excel in football, rugby, coaching. Perhaps you're a potential Olympic champion down the road. You are in media and arts. Maybe you're a poet, a musician, a composer, an editor, ecology, and environment. You're involved in what keeps bees populated. This is a danger in the world at the present time. Science and technology. Perhaps your gift is in astronomy, physics, or you are a computer genius. Government and politics. Perhaps you're a future member of parliament, a future prime minister. Medicine and health. As a doctor, you'd want to have the right diagnosis. You'd want to be accurate. A double anointing would be needed. You're perhaps a single mom. Or you're home with crying babies and you're wondering, how could I have a double anointing? You perhaps need this more than anybody else. Or religion and belief. This is where the church comes in. This is probably where I come in. I have for years prayed for a double anointing. As far as I can tell, that prayer has not been answered, but it's what I want. Now, what would it be like? Well, for one thing, you would have double the sense of God that you have at the moment. Consider what sense of God you have. Sense of his presence. Uh, Brother Lawrence, who was the Catholic monk in France in the 19th century, talked about the practice of the presence of God. Do you have a sense of God? Well, a double anointing would mean you have double the sense of God that you now have. I would like that more than anything in the world. What would that mean then? Well, for one thing, you'd have double the sense of gratitude. Are you aware of this? That the doctrine of sanctification is really the doctrine of gratitude. Let me explain. It is not your sanctification that gets you to heaven. Have you thought that what gets you to heaven is because you are a good person? Because you are a holy man or a holy woman? Have you thought that? Or maybe I could ask you this question. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? Would you think for a moment and try not to think of the person next to you? Ask yourself, what would I say? Suppose it's the real thing. We're not making it up, but you're actually standing before God. And if he were to say to you, why should I let you in? And you don't have anybody coaching you. 
whispering to you the answer? You've got to come up with it, and there's only one answer. And give the wrong answer, you have to go someplace else. What would you say? If it does not come to your mind right now that you're trusting the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, if it doesn't come to your mind at that moment, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. Why is this? It's because I've got one hope of going to heaven. If God were to say to me, why should I let you in? I have said, it's because Jesus died for me on the cross. That's it, plus nothing. We call it faith plus nothing. Faith in the blood of Jesus. You see, this is because the blood of Jesus satisfies the justice of God. It won't be your good works. It won't be your doing your best. It won't be your trying to keep the law. It won't be because you go to church or give money. You've got one hope. Or as the hymn puts it, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest flame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Is that your hope? If it's not, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything. Well, then you will ask, why live a holy life? The answer is, sanctification is the doctrine of gratitude. It's like the P.S. at the end of a letter. You're saying, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. If you were to have a double sense of God, you'd have a double ability to praise him a double ability to thank him, to glorify him, and a double desire to please him in everything you do. Double sense of God would mean double anointing to be gracious. For example, do you find it easy to be gracious or do you, do you work at it? I think you probably have to work at it. Total forgiveness is an act of the will. And when Jesus says, pray for your enemies, this is not easy to do. That is, if you know what Jesus means by it. I think some people, when they know that Jesus said, pray for your enemy, you just say, Heavenly Father, I just commit them to you <laughs> because you're hoping God will kill them. No, that's not what Jesus meant. He said, bless them, bless them. And so with a double anointing of graciousness, you're asking God to bless your enemy. You say, I can never do that. With a double anointing, it becomes easy. Without it, you do it because it's right. A double anointing would affect your gift what you are naturally good at because we all have a particular gift. You say, well, I have this particular gift, but there's no demand for what I'm good at. 
The truth is, God made you like you are. And that gift will come in handy at the moment you need it. Suppose your gift were prophetic dreams. You're good at having dreams. You say, well, I, I, I dream a lot. Or I can interpret my dreams. But there's no demand for my gift. Imagine Joseph, son of Jacob. He had the ability to interpret dreams. Can you imagine Joseph coming into an employment agency in Notting Hill Gate and says, I need a job. And they say, okay, Joseph, uh, what is it you do? He says, dream. <laughs> dream. Oh, I interpret dreams. Your name again? Joseph Bright. Thank you very much. We'll be in touch with you. And you may feel that your gift is about as relevant as that. But the day would come when the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, would have a dream and nobody could interpret it. And they knew about Joseph somehow. They found him. He was needed. And whatever your gift is, God knows what it is. He's the one that gave it to you. He will find you. And you will want more than anything else in the world. A double anointing on that gift. Well, now, as, as for Elijah, he's the one who found Elisha. And the Bible says that Elijah was just an ordinary man. That's what James says. He was just like us. He was a man of like passions, uh, says James. And you would be surprised to think that that would be the case. You look at what Elijah did. For example, raising the dead. My word, how can anybody do that if he's not extraordinary? But we're told he was just like us. He confronts the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and calls fire down from heaven. That's not an ordinary man. But he was an ordinary man. And then when Elijah finds Elisha, he was plowing corn and says, follow me. And, and Elisha says, well, I want to say goodbye to my parents. He was just an ordinary man. And you may feel that you are so ordinary. The truth is, most of us are ordinary. Now, Saul of Tarsus, he was extraordinary. He had a, 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 an education. He was tutored by Gamaliel. It couldn't get better than that. But most of us were not born to privilege, where because of your birth, you've got a future. Those in Britain, for example, born to privilege, it means that uh, they've got a public school education. They'll go to university. They'll get to Oxford or Cambridge, and they haven't done anything yet. It's just a privilege. By the way, I'm just curious. How many here are born to privilege? Can I see your hands? <laughs> what? Are you all just ordinary people? <laughs> Bruce, Bruce. <laughs> Were you born to privilege? Actually, I, I put him on the spot. I found out something about Bruce. 
He doesn't know how to answer that. <laughs> Here's why. Here's something you didn't know about Bruce. He was born the son of a 15-year-old mother, single parent. So that's not exactly being born to privilege. But three months later, he was adopted by a university lecturer. That's why he's become rich and famous. <laughs> but as for Elisha, Elijah, the ordinary. And I can think of nothing more encouraging than this, to know that you can be ordinary, very ordinary, and God use you. I come from the hills of Kentucky. I think I overheard Colin making some, was it a joke? We're going to sing, <laughs> would you be free from your burden of sin? Because they only sing that in Kentucky. I don't know if you've ever heard me tell this before. I was born in Kentucky when there were only 48 states. There are now 50, but for a long time, there were only 48. As I grew up, there were 48 states. We had a slogan in those days in Kentucky. It was, thank God for Arkansas. That's because... Kentucky was 47th in educational standards. Thank God for Arkansas. <laughs> oh, we'd have been at the very bottom. And I come from Kentucky. And for somebody to be used from Kentucky, I'm not making this up. If God can use me, he can use anybody. And you don't need to be born to privilege because God will find you. Amen. And I trust that this message will cause you to want this double anointing. You see, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables your gift to function with ease. A double anointing would be twice that power. Well, when we come into the story of Elisha, you could call him an anticipated man because the story of Elisha begins back during the life of Elijah. Elisha is discovered by Elijah, and we may assume that Elisha will be Elijah's successor. Sometimes God gives a great person a successor. Moses had a successor, Joshua. You could say David's successor was Solomon, but Joshua did not have a successor. And after Solomon, things went downhill. And so in the case of Elijah, he had a successor. Now, it's kind of difficult to know in what sense the double anointing uh, was fulfilled with Elisha. For example, if you raise somebody from the dead... What would a double anointing do? It doesn't get greater than that, does it? Or calling fire down from heaven, which is what Elijah did. So when you think double anointing, how is that going to work itself out? Well, one way to figure it is 
it refers not so much to quality as it does to quantity. As far as we can tell, depending how you would define the miraculous, Elijah performed something like 10 miracles. And if you count those in the life of Elisha, it was 20 miracles. So that is one way the double anointing would be fulfilled. Well, what we know also about Elisha is that he was an ambitious man. Do you know what it is to be ambitious? That's your motivation, your drive. That It's often said that it's ambitious people that get things done. But people that are not ambitious sometimes are jealous of those who are. But you need to know that ambition is a gift of God by common grace. Don't look down on a person who's ambitious because you're not. You should pray that God will motivate you because the people God has used have been ambitious. Martin Luther used to say, God uses sex to drive a man to marriage. Ambition to drive a man to service. Fear to drive a man to faith. And like it or not, ambitious people get things done. Uh, Moses was an ambitious man. And it's one thing to admire Moses because he killed an Egyptian to show that he would be identified with his, he, his people, the Hebrews. And if you didn't know about one verse in the epistle to the Hebrews, you might think, wow, what humility Moses had that he would abandon the house of Pharaoh and become a Hebrew and identify with his own people. You think, what humility. But there's something that Hebrews tells us that you might not have known. It's in chapter 11, verse 24, that Moses was motivated by reward. That gives you a different perspective. Have you ever realized this, that God motivates all of us in terms of our self-interest. Do you realize that? How does he get you to do what you do? He appeals to your self-interest. For example, how many, of, how many of you enjoy having somebody point the finger at you? Do you like that? When they criticize you and tell you what is wrong with you, do you enjoy that? Well, Jesus has a word. He says, do not judge and you won't be judged. So if you are getting judged, you probably asked for it in some way. So he motivates you. He says, do not judge, you won't be judged. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Or even in the book of Malachi, which is still in the Old Testament under the law, I'm amazed at this. But even under the law, when you had to tithe, Malachi actually says, give God what is his and the blessing will be so great you won't be able to contain it. It even motivates you like that. And this is the thing. 
God says Moses was motivated by reward. And the reward was something said, Moses, I want that reward. I want to find out what it will be like. That is what lay behind him. Don't put down ambition. Thank God for it. And so, Elisha, he's told by Elijah, just before Elijah is going to be transported to heaven, he says, Elisha, is there anything I can do for you? Oh, yes. He said, I want double your anointing. I want double what you've got. That's got to be one of the most cheeky requests in all human history. And Elijah says, whoa, you asked for a very difficult thing. And, you know, I've looked at this a lot. I don't think Elijah was very happy about that request. Because he says to himself, well, look, I'm very famous. I'm very well respected. And if you get double what I've got, you're going to be more famous than I, and I'll be forgotten. But Elijah says, well, I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. If you should be looking at me at the moment I'm transferred to heaven, you can have it. And I tell you, Elisha wanted that so much that he did not take his eyes off Elijah. 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours a day. He was in Elijah's face. He wanted that so much. And I'm asking you, how much do you want this double anointing? Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Ask me, and I will give you the nations. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Uh, Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And what if God is just putting this before you? And he's asking you, how much do you want this? And what if he's got his hand on you? He's given you a tap on the shoulder. He says, I've got a work for you to do. And it will be a work different from anybody else. And what if he said, I will give you double a sense of my presence. I will give you double the ability you now have in the gift that you have. Would you ask the Lord for this? But then I couldn't help but think of the Apostle Paul. Early in life, he said, when he wrote 1 Corinthians, which was probably around 55 A.D., he said, I want the reward, the crown. And then he wanted it so much, he said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, I keep my body under, that is, he says, some translations say, I beat it black and blue, that having preached to others, lest having preached to others, I become a castaway, a, 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 that I would forfeit the prize, because Paul wanted that. But do you know, some eight to ten years later, his ambition changed. And do you know what he wanted more than anything in the world? 
I said this in the first service. I've never told this publicly before, and I don't think I've ever even told Louise. And for some reason, I said it in the first service, so I might as well share it with you. For the last year or so, I make it my point to read Philippians chapter 2, certain verses, every day. For example, Paul said, and this is what I read every day, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through the faith of Christ. And that which is, comes from God is by faith. And then he says, I want to know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings. Imagine, this is now what Paul is consumed with. He said, I want to know him. You may say, well, wait a minute. Paul, I thought you knew the Lord. What do you mean by that? Oh, he would say, well, I know what you mean by that. But I don't know the Lord like I want. And he has this ambition to know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And that has become my ambition in my old age. I don't know what else God may have in mind for me. But if I could be assured that he would answer that, I want that more than anything else. To know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. So what about you? Would you like a double anointing of the presence of God? Double anointing to carry out what you're required to do. Where will it happen? Well, if, if not here, where? If not now, when? And if not you, who? If this is a word burning on you, consider that you've had a tap on the shoulder from the Holy Spirit to think big like Elisha did. And yet before I close, because of a question I asked early on in this little sermon, I come back to it. Think carefully. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he could do, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What comes to your mind? If it does not come to your mind because I'm trusting the blood of Jesus Christ, dear friend, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything. But that can all change now. I can give you a prayer to pray. You don't need to say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. You ready? Lord Jesus, I need you. Say that to him. I want you. 
I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. 